0: okay Emily biggest risk you've ever taken <laughs> go not to put you on the spot I mean it has to, to be absolutely starting the festival put you on the spot
1: but is it well here's the thing your risk threshold which what did the professor tell
0: you one time uh, that had more to do with, I don't care, anxiety or fear, but basically that
1: what your you risk
0: threshold is not the same as, other, as people's. other people's. Yes,
1: absolutely. And I think that that's part of it is that like, if you're taking a risk, you're scared of things to a certain degree and you're kind of doing it anyway. That's not, that is the definition of fear. Like not fear. That's the definition, a definition. My definition of bravery is you're scared of something and you're doing it anyway. I think risks kind of go in there like what risks are you taking willing to take? I take calculated risks. I have a worst case scenario module that I run through my head and if I'm okay with it, we go for it. But I mean, I think in some ways it was the biggest risk I've ever taken. I mean, the other ones that would go in that category would
0: be like, Moving to New York without a job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it is like, funny because it is a question on what well, we're gonna get deep for a second, but what is the definition of risk? Because, I, mean, I think it's the idea that you could lose something. Right. That's my thought too, because there's so many things that that I feel like I'm scared to do and do anyway. But does that just mean, is that just the risk? The reason I would go
1: back to the festival is we both said we were calling in every favor we had after like 10 years of working in the industry. And if it didn't work out, like I'd be a school teacher. So there was a risk to like, you wait to call in the favor. Like you might ask people for little things, but like this was the one that it was like, please show up for this, please do this, please whatever. And if that didn't work out that was the thing I like the same way people like make a movie and they're like, everyone I know is going to be in this movie. And then if it doesn't work out, you can't really, you got to rebuild that credit. And I was like, I'm going to now my life might've been fine. This school teacher, that was, wasn't a, that really was my backup plan was like that or like a therapist. But like the risk was this thing I'd been trying to do entertainment industry, slight pivot. But for 10 years, like I was taking a risk, whether I weighted it this heavily or not, that like I had moved to Austin, I was calling in every favor. Like if this didn't work, some pivot was going to happen that was different.
0: I think it's funny because I think in my head, I associate the word risk with fear Mm -hmm. and that it's not, if you're not scared, it's not a risk because there is this thought of, I have something to lose on the line. And I don't, I know there were moments that we talk about in planning the first festival that we don't have to rehash in this moment. Of there were moments of taking that, whether it was a financial risk or a oh, definitely financial, there risks. were definitely financial risk, but comparatively very small. It depends on who you are. For us and other <laughs> things that we could have done, um, it would not have like submarined us exactly. for life. No, exactly. But that there was never a time that I was terrified for my career or what was going to happen next like it wasn't a I never felt this back at you I
1: mean what's the I mean the only other things uh, we've talked about you being like scared of are the like the big trips we've
0: taken but like what are you risking then then I think it's like risking my safety (laughs) like what if I but it's true I mean we all know I'm a chicken I know that's why I'm laughing because it was a very Emily response yeah like I'm going somewhere completely unknown. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's going to happen when I get there. I could get lost. I could. You know, this aligns with the who we are. Like in the in the answering of that, like neither one
1: of us are saying like I saw it as that maybe at the time. But looking back, is that like me risking like reputation or access or like career building, which I hadn't done that much of. But like my road to like achievement, because like my greatest fear is failure. So, like, that would be my greatest risk. But yours is more personal and safety and things like that. So, like, your greatest risks are going to be putting yourself in that level of a situation. So, like, kind of aligns.
0: Yeah, it does. It very much does. <laughs> but my greatest risk was staying at the Driscoll when we moved our headquarters to the Driscoll because I'm deeply afraid of ghosts. And that is was a risk for me. But it has worked out well so far. It has. But segue... Into this panel, Today's panel. Yes. I did feel like I took a big risk. This was the first year that I moderated anything at the festival, which is something that I've always wanted to do, or at least the past few years have wanted to do, but haven't because there's a lot happening behind the scenes at the festival. And one, being able to prepare ahead of time and two, just knowing for that hour that I'm moderating, I can't do anything else. And yep. if something else has happened, I have to block it out and I have to be present And be able to be at a certain place at a certain time, full focus. And to me, that was actually a risk to take because you never know what's going to be happening throughout. So deciding to moderate something for me too, (laughs) but it is, I mean, it was that to me was an actual risk because I didn't, it was more like taking a chance, but it was a, I didn't know what. You don't know what's going to be happening around you and what chaos is happening behind the scenes. That I can be like, no, for this hour, I can be here and be present and do this no matter what. Fortunately, it all turned out really well. I agree. Did you have fun? I did have fun. I had a lot of fun. This was something that, shortest of backstories, we have a member named Michelle L. Williams, putting in the L so that you don't get her confused with another Michelle Williams. Uh, But she has been coming to the festival since year two, and she is a post-production supervisor on Grey's Anatomy. And uh, I'm not going to give the full story because she will tell that on the panel, but she has that job because of the festival. And she took some risk in getting that job. And I've always been so fascinated and excited by the fact that that's, how she got there and that it was really the festival that helped put her in that place. But she obviously did a lot on her own. And even as I've gotten to know her realized how many risks she took in order to be where she is now and how much she loves her job and what a kind of a chance she had to take. And then started thinking about other people that we were connected with that aren't, aren't the people that are on so many of the panels that are fantastic, but, the writers and directors and actors, and we've gotten into a lot of the other jobs this year, especially with costume designers. We always do casting. Those jobs that people understand what they are, but I really wanted to look at creative careers that are not the ones that people know about and how people got into those jobs and the chances that they had to take, especially when you're going into the entertainment industry and you you don't know what this job is, so you don't know what you're even doing when you walk into the job on the first day and how scary that can be. And so putting together a group of people that, another one of which, Nawen, I know very well and have known for a long time and seen her have many career jobs. And then Beatrice Shaheen, who is newer to my life but has been coming to the festival for a while and knew that she worked on shows, but didn't really know what she did, and reached out to her, and a hey, tell me your story, tell me your career. So it was really fun putting this so together. So the focus
1: of this one is changing careers, though, and the risk in doing
0: that. Yes. Okay. Yes. And uh, yeah, taking okay. taking those steps, taking so not those just chances. a risk
1: to get a job, but like to like kind of change direction. Yes. Too.
0: Yeah. Yes. Which obviously we did. We did do twelve years ago. <sighs> Shit. <laughs> But yeah, but it was a a really fun conversation to have. It was a great crowd. And I was interested in the room to see why people were in there Mm -hmm. and to see if people were in there because they were interested in entertainment careers or they were looking to change jobs. I heard
1: a lot about – like I heard people come up to me before being like, I'm excited for this panel or I'm looking to do – like." someone who bought a ticket for Outlander was like thinking of starting a podcast. I'm interested in this panel because like I haven't ever
0: done anything like that. Like, which is really cool. And I think there's something awesome about it that it's not just about a full career. It's wanting to make any change in your life. Yeah, And obviously this is focused on creative and specifically career changes, but it's anytime you want to make any change in your life, whether it's starting a new hobby, whether it's moving to a new town, whether it's, getting a dog, having a baby, having a baby, <laughs> uh, any of those things are a change. And I believe circling back, anytime there's a change, there's a risk because you don't know what's going to be on the other yeah. side. And
1: they're scary. So they bring the fear back in. There you go. Change. Sorry. Full circle. Hard Full circle back around. And unknown. All of the things. I agree. I think it's very cool. And I'm very proud of you for doing it. I don't think I can. I would like to moderate more things, but not at the festival. My
0: brain is... It was scrambled eggs. I did learn it has to be something that I know well. Yeah. It can't be something that I have to study or catch up on ahead of time. Yeah. It has to be something that it's kind of like ingrained in me already. Yeah. Which this very much was. So with that, here is Take the Risk, Creative Career Changes, moderated by me, Emily Gibson. (laughs) Hey y'all! How's it going? Okay, a little bit more, a little bit more, guys. Guys, we are only halfway through day three. We got a lot more to go. We need like the energy up. It's a little warm in here, but you know we're all cozy and nice. Um, I'm Emily Gibson. I'm one of the co-founders of ATX TV. Uh, thank y'all so much for being here. Quick, you know, housekeeping. Make sure you've downloaded the app. Make sure you keep updating it less shifts now as we go through the rest of the weekend, but still things, people are still being added. Things happen. Um, but with that, I'm going to get us started. Uh, this panel is something I really wanted to do. Um, which I will explain exactly why with one of our panelists here in just a minute, but Kate and I took a lot of risk in our careers and a lot of different changes and ups and downs and didn't know where we were going and started out in one path of the industry and then took many more and ended up here. And I know we have a lot of writers, directors, actors here at the festival, but there's so much more that goes into TV and everything behind the scenes. And there's so many creative careers that I wanted to have a discussion about it for anyone that might be interested or just wants to know more. So I'm going to bring out our panelists and let them tell you a little bit more about themselves. But starting with Beatrice Shaheen. And then Michelle Williams, ATX-TV member Michelle Williams, and Na So y'all, thank you so much for being here and doing this. Um, uh, I want to start we're just going to go down the row quickly. Not quickly. Take your time, um, and start with. I want you to tell people. We're going to start with the present, and then we're going to go back a little bit. But what your current job title is, and a couple of sentences about what exactly that means. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, so I'm a, produ- a production supervisor. Most recently worked on Grand Cru and Physical, and to I guess quickly sum up my job production as a department, is really kind of the hub of the show. So we're, we're sort of first in with the writers and then last out pretty much all the way through post. Um, and we, everyone kind of comes to us for, for everything. So anything that you can think of from, like, getting equipment to setting up table reads or, like, dealing with publicity that comes um, to the show to then interview actors and other creatives, we just kind of take care of everything.
0: So everything, colon (laughs) everything.
3: Uh, Michelle. Um, I am a post-production supervisor, and what we do is once everything is shot, once she gets everything together (laughs) so that the show can be shot, it comes to editorial, kind of along the way in dailies, but uh, it comes to the editorial department, and what Post does is we manage that process, getting it through editorial, through delivery to the studio, and onto final air. And so that includes music, VFX, um, good, good Grief, credits, all the, thi- all the things that, that come into just making sure that the package is put together and the creatives that are editorial work with the directors and the showrunners to, to make the shows that you love.
0: And not. Nah.
4: So I tend to call myself a strategist because I was a longtime publicist. And then about 10, 11 years ago, I started producing creatively. So I now mesh the two together for all the projects that I produce. I also do the PR. And so it's a it's a nice crossroads of t- different things now.
0: So Michelle, I'm going to jump back to you because you were the reason that I started coming up with this panel idea. I want you to tell the story of what happened at the festival <laughs> that changed the trajectory of your career? Uh,
3: okay, so a friend of mine who's here in the room, love her to death, um, she, <laughs> we love friends, um, she brought me to this festival, I guess it was season two, we came for one day, and then season three, um, I started coming to the whole thing, and I think it's season six that I went to a panel, I was producing live television at the time, um, overnight's. So Never seeing the light of day, hardly. And so I came to a panel called... um, But I always wanted to produce, and I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So um, there was a panel called um, Unscribed, the Non-Writing Producer. And as much as I love television, I didn't know that there was a such thing as a non-writing producer that wasn't like a writer or an actor. I thought all of the producers on television had, had to be that. And so this panel introduced me to the concept of physical producers and logistical producers. And I was like, that's what I do. That's exactly what it is. And so there was a, a woman on that panel um, who's Shonda Rhimes's um, right hand um, producing partner, Betsy Beers. And as she was speaking, every literally my hair was just on fire. And it's like, she is, doing everything I want to do in my life, and I all I wanted to do was try, I, I barely listened to the panel after that, I was like, oh my god, what do I tell her, how do I talk to her, 30-second pitch in my head, I have to figure it out, spent the entire thing figuring out my pitch, um, so that I could talk to this woman, um, and the pitch, um, so after the panel, I went up to her, I gave her my little 30-second pitch, and she was like, wow, okay, let's, let's talk a little bit. And she was walking out of the door, she was trying to get a plane, and she said, give me your card, and, and we'll talk later. And I was like, okay. And so I waited for this, and this was during the summer, and I didn't understand the concept of a hiatus. <laughs> and so uh, I'm waiting for this call, that was not, that's like weeks are going by, and I'm like, why isn't this happening, oh my gosh. Um, and then, so I kind of got proactive with it, which was weird, and I don't necessarily suggest this to everybody, but I was kind of persistent. I found the number for Shondaland, and I began to try to contact her, because it's like, she seemed genuinely interested in talking to me, so it's like, she took my card, so she meant it. Uh, so, um, I would call, and it took a while for somebody to get back to me. I kept leaving messages, and finally, I, after the hiatus was over, I called, I called again, and they were like, oh, Michelle, hi. Yeah, we were expecting your call. Let me get you <laughs> over there to her office. So I was like, okay. So this started a long-distance um, mentoring relationship between she and I, and then subsequently, um, me moving to Los Angeles. Yeah, but it was... Yes. <laughs> it was crazy, and Yeah can't even still
0: so we're gonna circle back to the risk in that moment here in just a little bit um but not jumping back to you your career has taken many different turns I've been firsthand for many of them what do you think was the moment where you really were like okay now I work in entertainment and I've got my feet on solid ground here what was that first job and how did you get that
4: I mean, that was a couple years into L.A., I think, though, because I started off as an intern at film festivals here. I was an intern at AFF, at South By, and didn't really know that I wanted to be in entertainment. It was just fun to do it. So I did that for three years and then had some luck and and moved to Los Angeles. The plan was to stay in Los Angeles for five years and then come back here because I love it here so much. But I just kept falling in love with the industry and getting jobs. So I started off at Miramax Films. And after a couple of years at Miramax, the interesting thing is when I got the job there, I was hired to work in the L.A. office. But the person that helped me get a job was Robert Rodriguez and his wife, Elizabeth Avion, who's a producer here in town. And the specific deal that I had at Miramax was I would do six months in L.A. working on the Academy campaigns in publicity and marketing when that was happening. But then I would spend the other six months of the year back in Austin, Texas, working on set with Robert whenever he would shoot movies. So I'm going to date myself now. But I came on board right after Once Upon a Time in Mexico. I did all of the Spy Kids movies, and then right before Sin City, I left. So they actually wanted me to stay And after working with them for a couple of years, they wanted me to stay in Austin full time. And that was when I think I thought that I, I'm paying rent in L.A., I love L.A., and I'd only been there a couple of years, and I think I really wanted to give it a shot. So that was probably the moment where I thought I'm going to take this risk and and really you know, leave this job that was really... A wonderful experience. It was a dream experience, but I was going to take my shot in L.A. and and that I think was probably when that was the point of no return. I guess now it's been twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> and V, how about you?
0: What was your first job in entertainment when you're like this is I'm on the path now.
2: On the path. Um, so I my story I feel like starts actually when I was a student at UT. My sophomore. Year, I found um, a producer from the show Brothers and Sisters email on on a website, and so I emailed this person <laughs> and just was like, "I I am a fan of the show. I would love to interview you for a class project." And they graciously replied back very quickly and were like, I'll, I'll, of course, I'll do the interviews. And there was a little bit of moment of panic because I was like, oh, they've responded. Now I have to, now I have to formulate all my thoughts. And um, I kept up that relationship. And then I did the UT in Los Angeles program where you can spend a semester out in LA um, studying and interning. And so that um, relationship that I made there translated into an internship that I had. So I had an internship on the show, Brothers and Sisters, and then I was also an intern at the company called Mad Chance. Um, I worked for Andrew Lazar, Miri Yoon, and Alana Mayo, who are big all in the feature world. So I had two sort of different experiences. Then I felt, I guess, when I felt like I had made it or felt like I really had my foot on the ground was after graduation and then mad chance had an opening for an assistant and I took that and then I can talk later too about my journey to TV because it's a little bit <laughs> a little bit of a little
0: a bit little, of a, jump. a few but more yeah, different yeah, directions. Yeah. Yeah. So I say so okay Michelle jumping back to you you started talking to Betsy, you get this first opportunity, you had decided I think I want to be a producer, you're in that world. It's probably a little different than the path you thought that you were going on what was that first job like at Shondaland where you're like, this isn't exactly the path that I was going, but I want the step in the door.
3: Well, it it was actually a little bit even more askew than that because, again, like, like, like they were both saying, it's like kind of had a job. I had a job. I was producing. I'd been doing it for over a decade for live television. And I had mortgage, living here in Austin, doing my thing. And this opportunity... Um, and, and P.S., the opportunity didn't come immediately. It was, I, she was like, you need to move to L.A. to even get the chance. And I was just like, oh, man, so I'm just going to quit the thing that I have complete stability for, just to go for something maybe? And, and it's like, "And yeah, you'll be a P.A., P.S. And I was like, well, okay. So, okay. <laughs> so it was um, kind of a, a, about six months into me being in L.A. when I got the interview, to potentially be a PA in the office for only two episodes of a show. And so I was literally, yes, I was just trying to get my foot into the door. I wanted to line produce and that was the thing that Betsy and I had talked about for a long time was, was line producing. But, um, what ended up happening was after the, the PA thing, which only lasted two months because it was only two episodes that I was signed on for, um, the PA for post-production actually was leaving. I was passing out call sheets like I, like, like you do as a PA. And I walked into post-production and, and the PA there was giving her notice to the coordinator. And the coordinator liter- literally was like, where am I gonna find another PA so quickly? And I was like, I I happen to be leaving at the end of the week, too, over here. And I already know you guys, so maybe. And again, I walked into post not knowing a thing about post. I've been doing live television. No post in live television. And so they took a chance on me, and then I ended up falling in love with Post. <laughs> and it's like, I still talk to Betsy, and she's just like, okay, she's like, you're, you're on your path now. And we just kind of talk about other things uh, because, like, the line producing, I kind of do some of it still on the side, but uh, it's no longer like the exact trajectory. So I kind of did a couple of pivots and turns and things like that, and then found Post and fell completely in love. That's almost literally
4: the same thing that happened to me, (laughs) because I got in the door at Miramax as a temp, so I had to move to L.A. and just was told you could be a temp for three, four months, and at the end, literally towards the end of that last week, the only position that was available at the time was an assistant in publicity, and I knew nothing about publicity, Mm -hmm, but you just have to take your shot, and and I fell in love with it, too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: B, how about you? Now you're a foray into TV. Now my foreign a <laughs> So
2: when I was working in development from there, I found out that I got into the NBC page program. And so that was something that I had always wanted to do. But then everyone was like, Oh, do you feel like it's too much of a sidestep? Like, do you still want to go to development? And I was like, well, actually I've always wanted to do television and television production specifically. So that was going to be a nice, uh, I guess, hop to another lily pad <laughs> to hang out there for a little bit. And then, um, And then from there, I met a lot of people through the PAGE program who eventually helped me get my first office PA job on the show, Go On.
0: So that was, at this point, a decade ago. So this conversation is really about taking risk Mm -hmm. and what that looks like and what that means and sometimes starting over. I mean, I don't know. Some of you in this room may know. uh, I had almost a decade-long career in Los Angeles as an assistant, jumping from corporate job to corporate job. Kate was the director's assistant when we started the festival. We had only been assistants before. And the joke is that we had barely planned a birthday party before planning the first (laughs) festival. If you're at the first festival, you could probably tell that. Um, No idea what we were doing. Such just closing your eyes and leaping. And I feel each of you have had major moments in that. Michelle, it starts with you walking up to Betsy and you're like, I'm going to take this risk and how nerve wracking that is. What was yeah. going through your head in a, I want this enough that I'm going to try it?
3: I think that what even got me to have enough courage to do it is knowing that I kind of was prepared for whatever she was going to say to me. It's like whether if it was going to be a, a nice to meet you, thank you, or and <laughs> run away, and I was like, okay, I'm prepared for that. Or if it was a well, what do you have to show for yourself? It's like, who are you? What do you do? What is, what, I had all of my credentials ready in my head, in the forefront, and all of, all of my passion for Shondaland specifically because it's like I was definitely talking to a person that I knew what Shondaland offered. I was a fan of Grey's Anatomy already. And scandal and all these all the other things, you know. So um, I already had kind of that in my back pocket to talk about, and my passion to go into scripted, and and and, the, and also I guess a little bit of the fact that I felt stuck, mm-hmm. in where I was. Um, I didn't. I thought that that was the only way for me to be a producer here because I didn't want to do film, which Austin is a big more film town, mm-hmm. but I wanted to do, produce television. So I I thought that where I was was the only opportunity besides like news morning show, which I wasn't really interested in doing. And so it was like, well, this is my, this is my shot. This is it. And um, I'm talking to exactly the person doing the exact thing that I want to do. I, I got to take it. I just have to. And I, I don't think that there was any not doing it at that point. My intention was, there, it was solid. And there was just it was tunnel vision. I was talking to her. That was, that was just it. <laughs>
0: Nod, nah, you have a moment, doesn't have to lead to exactly where you are now, but that you took your first major risk of, uh, I'm just going to put myself out there and see what happens.
4: I mean, so much of it ties to Austin. I mean, Austin was where I worked at the festivals in again, took the risk of going to L.A., but Austin was also where there was a consultancy job that I had, which was for TED Talks. And so there was a TED Women event here in Austin that a friend of mine who I worked with at Paramount, the studio that I was at for a few years, she said, I'm going to produce this TED event. Can you help run the PR? campaign for it. So I ran the PR campaign for the TED event and one of the speakers, which was this woman named Lizzie Velasquez, who's at the time had a rare syndrome that only two other people in the world had and that she couldn't gain or maintain any fat on her body. So she had been dubbed as the world's ugliest woman by someone Mm -hmm. cruel on YouTube. And so she was one of our speakers at the TED event. Her talk went viral. And so my friend and I, who again, I just ran the PR campaign and my friend said, you know what, her story deserves more than the 13 minutes that we gave her on stage let's do a documentary about her life and I was like yes I want it like people should know about her we knew nothing about producing we knew only marketing and PR and we again just took that risk raised money on our own on a kickstarter and decided to figure out how to put this documentary together so that was what opened the doors for me to start producing and again I'm just really grateful to the community of Austin that made that possible and made me feel like it was possible too.
0: Like, are there people in here that are contemplating a career change or contemplating something different in your life? You can raise your hand. Yes. No, please. It's a also speaking to the audience as well and wanting to know what kind of things you want to hear. I feel that in life we can become very complacent in our lives. And a lot of times the only way to change that is to take a risk. And that that is very scary. Mm-hmm. So be I know when you, I'm assuming, I'm don't, I don't know, but <laughs> when you did after the PAGE program and went into your first official job after that was probably pretty scary, as y'all have said about walking into rooms that you didn't understand what the job was. What is that walking into a job that you are not trained to do? Because most entertainment jobs, there's not really an official training for it. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of thrown into it. Yeah, yeah. So. What was that first day, and how did you mentally prepare for? I'm just going to do this and see what happens.
2: I was super excited. I think, like, the, I think the excitedness superseded all of my nerves because I think you know, as an office PA, and as a PA in most departments, a lot of it is taking direction. So I felt some comfort in that where I was like, Oh, there are people, you know, my bosses who were the assistant coordinators were very, I had looked them up before I started working for them. And I was like, Oh, they're very well versed in what they're doing. Like, I know that I can count on their leadership and how they're going to sort of shepherd me through all of this. But I think, yeah, I think I was a little more nervous than anything. So that coupled with my attitude of having always wanted to do production was, um, I was a little I was a little nervous because I wanted to do a really good job, but I think um, overall I was just excited.
3: Yeah. No, what she on. was saying actually like sparked something for me that was really important. I think it was really important for for all of us was that we fell into places where they were looking to teach. They they wanted to share the information. They they were they were open and receptive to mentoring. And not everybody is, and that's that's also kind of a risk um, that could be taken. Like if you decide to just walk up to somebody or something like that, it's like you kind of have to know who you're walking up to because if it's if it's not somebody that is has been interested or has demonstrated that interest, you don't know where that's going to go. Now, for me with Betsy, I knew what she. I knew what she was about already. And she she was part of a, she, and I think she still is, is part of an organization called Lean In. And it was f- specifically for women of a certain age and making pivots and things like that. So I was walking up to somebody that was already in that space, in that headspace to help somebody exactly like me. So it was like as much of a, a risk as it still was because it's just like getting out of my own way to, make, to be ready for it. And also to stay prepared for it. And that's mm-hmm. the other thing. It's like once you get there, you can't mess it up. especially. If, if yeah. it's, and So it's like keeping that up is also extremely important and having the drive to hustle and do that. I took classes for that s- first six months of being in L.A. Mm-hmm. when I didn't have a job yet. Uh, I drove Postmates so that I wouldn't take a job that I would end up dumping because I was going to go into something. I, I knew I wanted to go into something that I loved. Yeah. So I just did that and took classes. It's like, oh, what 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 is the programs that they use there? I'll go take a class on that. And it's like, I just did that all the time and listened to other people's stories mm-hmm. about what their experiences were. And I, I know I just hijacked, <laughs> but there was, this <laughs> one, there was one last thing that I definitely wanted to get out to everybody is that listening to other people's stories is always good and it's very... Um, empowering and it's very inspirational, but always know that your story is your own, that nobody's path is going to be exactly like somebody else's path. And I know I definitely heard some stories that, of paths, I was like, that is not going to be my story. Mm -hmm. That is just not going to be my story. My story is going to be very different. And so having that drive inside of you is probably the most important, having that, that real fire to do it is probably the most important thing, to be able to take that risk and get, again, get out of your own way and just go for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, you <laughs> <don't>. <laughs>
4: oh, go. Go ahead, go ahead. Why did it get better? That was just uh, reminding me of, you know, just hearing you talk. I've always loved the saying that luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Mm-hmm. And so that is the theme that I keep hearing from all of us. And especially with you, like you were prepared in every moment, not even knowing what what it might be Mm -hmm. but just trying to prepare as much as you can and again it's just it's timing you know but there's so many people who if you put the preparation in and you just hang in there the time will come and that's when you shoot your shot and that's I think what luck ends up being Mm -hmm. yeah
2: yeah and sort of back to Michelle's point about um, mentors too I will say in every single stage of my career, someone has taken a chance on me. Someone Mm -hmm. has, there are people who want to give back. And I try to do that as well. Like anyone who wants to chat with me, I'm happy to do a zoom. I'm happy to do a coffee. Um, because there were so many people who took a chance on me and they had truly no reason to, other than the fact that they were willing and generous to Mm -hmm. help.
0: So when I, my first assistant job in LA was on the Fox lot, I was an assistant in feature film finance after having made a D in finance, <laughs> um, which is the joke of my family. Uh, my boss, fortunately I was just an assistant. I was not dealing with finance things, but my boss knew that that was not my career path. Um, but he was wonderful and really mentored me and set me up with informational meetings with executives all across the lot in different avenues so that I could get to know what the they were and talk to different people. And I remember him setting me up with some pretty high powered people at Fox and I would go in and sit down with them and being 22 years old and not really know what I, knowing what I was doing, would sit down and just be like, tell me about yourself and was not prepared at all. And I quickly learned there were a few executives that I could tell were like, you're wasting my time. Because I wasn't, as they should have been, because I was not prepared to go and I didn't really know anything about them. I didn't have questions prepared. I was not ready for it. And I really took that to be like, oh, this is, people are willing to give me time, but I need to be prepared for that. And now with our interns, we do lunch and learn Zooms with our interns, and I'll bring in executives to talk to them, and I make them write down questions before they get on, because that's part of the training we want to give them is, when you get someone's time, people love to talk about themselves. (laughs) It doesn't matter what path that they're on. They love to talk about themselves, but you want to be prepared for that and really find a connection with that. Was there a time that you took a risk and it did not turn out well, but you were okay afterwards? Which is everything because you're all here. But was there a time that you were like? I took this risk and it didn't turn out the way that I wanted or thought.
4: I will say this: is, this isn't a risk that I took, but it is something that I was embarrassed to talk about for a while, and I didn't really share with many people. I had spent. I was at Miramax for a couple of years, then I went to CA in corporate communications, and then I spent six years as a publicist at Paramount. Did very well in terms of like I worked really hard had a great relationship with everybody that I worked with there. But after six years, the head of the marketing department and my head of publicity, they laid me off. And I was the only one that was laid off. But, And I was devastated because I knew that I did a good job there, but I remember talking to the head of marketing when I was leaving and she said, listen, there's some people who are, and they gave me like a, a few months runway though. They were really kind and said, we're laying you off, but you've got three or four months to figure out you know, where you want to go. But she sat me down. She said, you didn't do anything wrong. Here's the bottom line. There's some people who are going to be publicists for the rest of their lives and they're going to be amazing at it and that's what they need to do. You are not that person. You don't want to keep growing up. I mean, you don't want to keep elevating yourself in the department. We know you have other interests. And I did. I wanted to work in philanthropy. I wanted to work in sports and all these other things. And she said... We've tried to figure out how to have you here and keep you here because we love you. You need to leave because we know that you're going to do other things. I am getting emotional. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But she really took care of me in that way. And it was terrifying because, and again, I didn't, I, I don't know that I've told everybody this, but like I was embarrassed because being laid off, you're like, what did I do wrong? But it was such a great push for me. And that was what opened the door for me to be able to consult and fine producing and all these other things that worked out, you know, because I worked hard and got along with people. But it was terrifying to have that. And that was, you know, not a risk that I took on my own, but it was something that was a risky situation, I think, and not having that sort of, like, footing. But I was really grateful for in the end. Do
0: y'all have any, or even a moment that, you know, just to put you on the spot that you, or like, maybe I was even embarrassed about this moment, but I got through to the other side of it.
2: Yeah. I had a a teachable moment in development for sure because teachable moment. That's a good teachable (laughs) moment. Um, I was looking through, there was, there's a few different reports, I guess, that list what productions are going on in LA or all over the country and sometimes the world. And one of my bosses in development, I I should have done much more legwork, but again, this was a teachable moment. And I basically was asking, "Do you know any people? Do you know any of the other like people who are producing this?" And they were like, "We want to help you, but like this is not the way to do it. Like you should really be a real more methodical and like what you're what you're asking and and like the time that you're asking us to take to help connect you to another job because you're also our assistant. So so but it was it was a really good moment for me to be like, yeah, I need to be, I need to have a little bit more direction and, and and do more legwork into getting to where I want to go. So yeah, not, it wasn't my, one of my finer moments, but I learned from it.
3: Yeah. I definitely got into a situation a couple of times where, um, being not intentional and being a little wishy-washy about what I wanted to do kind of caught, got me into a situation because I was, um, the one interview that I did while I was waiting for the real interview that I wanted to have, um, I was talking with a pretty high-powered um, executive uh, uh, executive producer in, in Hollywood to be their assistant. And literally all that was on my mind is that I know I want to be a producer, and so I want to learn as much as possible from this, this woman. And so I'm going to try to be her assistant. This is going to be great. And so I get into the interview. I made the interview, and I was just like, yes, that's great. And I get in, and so she starts asking me questions. And I keep telling her about my, my background, what I want to do, and all these sort of things. And I'm interviewing for an assistant position. And she's listening to me. She's being very gracious and, and taking her time and everything like that. And she said, I appreciate the fact that you came in, but I think that we can go ahead and like start to call this. And I was like, oh no, why? What, did I say something? What did I do? She said, well, first off, you're not an assistant. What I need is somebody to, to do my books. I need, this, I need somebody to do my schedules and, and be my support. And everything that you've talked about is talking about either what you want to learn from me and how to, that you're going to use that to parlay into more producing or something like that. She's like, you're a producer. So you're now taking up my time for you know an interview as an assistant. And she's like, and you're clearly, that's not what you want to do. And you're clearly beyond it. So she says, like, when I have an associate producer position, then you and I can talk again. <laughs> but until then, she's like, so I, I took up her time with being, it was a placeholder. It really was. And so it, and it came across that way. So it was basically, and it, I had another interview to do a line producer assistant thing. And it was again, the same sort of thing. Cause by that time I had fallen in love with the post and all I could talk about was post. And she's just like, until you get out of post, you're not going to be a line producer. Cause you need to go ahead and get done with that. And I'm like, I'm not going to be done with that. Darn it. You know? So it's like kind of trying to serve two different agendas. Um, puts you in a position to be, p- could potentially put you in a position to be in front of somebody that you're not, you're not serving. And, and I think that's the other thing that I, I did want to impart and I, that I learned is that you always want to be the answer to the question that these people have in their minds. It's like when you're interviewing for, and especially to go for the thing that you really want to do, it's just like... Not necessarily what they can give you, but what you can give back and make what they do even better and make them shine, which also helps you. What helps you shine? So that is important too. So that I think that's that was the big learn. And yeah, I wasted some <laughs> I wasted some <laughs> people's time early on. I really did. But um, also, you know, it's, it's not too late. And no matter what age range you're in, what you, what you've already done, it's like as long as you have, it's okay to pivot. I've pivoted like. This, this isn't even my second act. This, is, this has got to be my fourth. I've pivoted, I've pivoted to all kinds of stuff from computers to veterinary stuff. I mean, I was, I've been all over the place. So it's just like, but just know, it's like each time I knew that that's what I wanted to do right then. But the, uh, just so you know, know what you want to do and, and stay steady in that. And when you're talking to people, come from that
4: place. But you know what? I also think that people, you naturally change. Right. As you get older. So yeah. I, when you think about it, I think that every decade you become a different person. Like I'm a different person from my teens to my 20s to my 30s to my 40s. And so mm-hmm. I also think it's more to allow yourself to know that you change as a person. So your interests yeah. in your career and your personal life, it's natural to have different interests and mm-hmm. different curiosities. And so that might be something that helps you figure out like what you want to do i mean maybe it's a process of elimination or just wanting to explore something it's it's risky but it's i think a very natural thing to want to learn and and do different things as you continue on in your career yeah, and that
3: acceptance can help you minimize your own risk to whatever um, you, yeah. your psycho, your psyche you know mm-hmm. it's like it's okay to change it's mm-hmm. okay to have a new interest and a new focus it's Okay. Yeah. Everybody does it. Yeah. Well, and we
2: were talking about this earlier um, before, but we were saying that whatever you learn in a certain job, as you pivot, it's, it might not be a one hundred, like a one to one equal. You know, you know this here, so in this business, it's going to be like this. But it will, whatever you learn in one job, you can always take to the next job. Yeah. Like you, you can continue to learn and bring your previous knowledge with you to whatever you're moving to next.
0: And then we just have a couple more minutes. Does anyone have any questions? In the group, yeah.
3: Um, when you said the teachable moment, was the mistake of just asking like a blank, hey, who do you know as a producer?
2: Yeah, like, it was, right. It wasn't like, you know, I wasn't going in there being like, okay, I'm interested in in this. And I wonder like, oh, do they have an office PA position? Like I wasn't clear really about my intentions. And it's also a lot to ask someone, um, do you know anyone off of this list of like
0: 500 productions?
2: <laughs> like, yeah.
0: Yeah. I've had people say, can you help me find an internship? And I'm like, yes, what area do you want to be in? Like, let's get specific. And like, just in entertainment. I'm like, no, I can't. I can't. I'm sorry, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) I just. Um, Any other questions out there? Oh, yeah, back here. Um, So I'm currently in the
4: process of getting laid off. Um, And I'm curious to know when um, you were like developing new, were you letting people know that you were getting laid off and like exploring other things? For me, no. I was embarrassed. I was terrified. But I knew that I had four months. And so what I was doing, I was just having meetings with other people saying, like, I'm going to leave in four months and I'd love to just do this. Because my thing is, I knew I didn't want to be in publicity. So that was where I was going anyway. But when I was Leaving, I knew that I wanted to find some way to do social impact or philanthropy in you know in in that realm and and the crossroads of that in entertainment. So there are two places where I wanted to work. One was the uh, Academy that puts on the Oscars, and the other was Bad Robot with JJ Abrams, who I used to do PR for. Those are the two places that were sort of starting to do philanthropy because at the time nobody was doing it, you know. And and so my pitch to them was, I'm leaving. I'm going to do this and. It went fine with Bad Robot, but I remember the Academy, the president at the time who I'd done a project with, he said, why are you leaving? Like, you can't, you shouldn't leave without another job. And I felt terrible. I, I didn't know how to tell him. So I was embarrassed. So I didn't say that. But I, at the end of the day, my four months came up. I was offered a job somewhere else doing PR and didn't want to do it. And I didn't have another job. But while I was at Paramount, I used to take my vacation days and freelance at CBS Sports in New York, because I love tennis and I used to do the US Open. So I did it for five years and built a sports network while I was a publicist in LA. So that summer when I didn't have a job, I knew I was gonna do that for two weeks, but I reached out to one of the marketing firms and I said, hey, I've got more time this summer. Can I do a little more for you? And so I ended up doing a bunch more events and spent like a month or two there. And from that, I got offered a a consulting job to do some stuff in New York and some in Australia, but I spent the next year really just doing tennis events. And then slowly people started to realize, like, oh, okay, she still I'll still do PR here. And then it was, I'll do PR for these nonprofits. And so I sort of like put puzzle pieces together of the interest that I had. And then it just luckily it just kept going. But it was for me at the time, I was so embarrassed when I didn't. But now I think it's just everybody's getting laid off. And I you know what I will say, I had a boss that told me. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it will at some point, and you're really lucky if it doesn't. And then I realized like it, it's it's just part of life. So that was my personal journey.
0: I um, know we have to wrap up, so I want to end on each of you. It's kind of stealing from Brene Brown, whom I love. Um, <laughs> is uh, when you're faced with having to do something really scary, take a risk, something that you're unsure of. What is it that you personally do in that moment to move forward?
4: Well, Michelle reinforced something that was important to me, which is prepare, prepare, prepare as mm-hmm. much as you can. I remember somebody telling me the, the scariest thing for him was not like going into a room. It wasn't not knowing the situation, it was just not being prepared. Mm-hmm. I hope that makes sense. But I really appreciate everything that you said about how much you try to prepare because that's what they think you can control. You can't control the other stuff. Right. So, yeah. yeah.
3: And I think it's, I guess for me, is just being kind to myself about it. You know, it's like knowing that, you know, usually the scariest thing is just the unknown of it all and it's just that's but what what is that really? <laughs> you know, it's like taking a deep breath and just kind of leaping cuz I, I do believe at this point and it's it's happened many times in my life besides just this career path thing um, that you know, if you if you really believe and you have that intention it you, you leap and the net will appear. Sometimes you might be hovering for a little while wondering when it's gonna (laughs) appear, but it will. And just kind of knowing that and kind of being able to fall back and look, literally look and put myself back into a situation where I took a risk and it it did work and be able to put myself back in that energy helps me move forward into a new risk.
2: Mine is actually a combination of both. I would say I over-prepare for everything. I even emailed Emily. I was like, is there anything I need to prepare for this (laughs) before before we did the panel? (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then also being kind to myself, as you said, Michelle, and knowing that what's meant to happen will happen. Um, Yeah.
0: Thank you all so much for being here. Thank Thank you all for being here. Um, Appreciate it. Hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And uh, see you all at ACL Live later tonight at 7 p.m. (laughs)
1: You have been listening to the TV Campfire podcast hosted by ATX TV co-founders, Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarlane, and produced by Jennifer Morgan. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival Season 12 in Austin, Texas, between June 1st and 4th, 2023. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit ATXFestival.com.